Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You look around the country right now, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say there are two truly elite teams that I see. And that is Alabama, who, even if it was ugly after getting up 21-3, to went to the swamp and beat Florida. And it's Georgia, because I watch Clemson muck it up against Georgia Tech, a team that's not any good. And they're having to make a play on defense to win the game. They do not. To hold on. Their offense is not They don't have a solution at quarterback. Yeah, their That's offense is not good. To. Some guys are just not meant to step in and be the guy, right? Like that, there, there are a lot of those type players across the country right now. Penn State uh, got the best quarterback play I think they can find against Auburn this past Saturday night. And still, I don't see Penn State as some top five power. At least I'm not buying it. Are you? Penn State um, was very impressive in that game, but no. Uh, surviving Auburn. Again, Auburn is a mid-level SEC team. I mean, they're good. I don't there's know not what a big they are. Dro- there's I, not a big drop-off from Malzahn uh, to Brian Harson. I think that's the good news for Auburn fans. But I don't say that to belittle Auburn. I'm just saying they're not in that elite group at the no, top it, of the SEC. Auburn goes 8-4, and four, that is a huge success as yeah. you look at their schedule. And we still don't know what to expect from them. Um, I, I, I called them on Saturday the biggest unknown of, of college football. I still think they are. Because I don't know where they stack up. Where, where would they – in games, just watching them right now and try to play it out in our heads on the, the Vegas line, on who would be favored. They got Arkansas coming up. Arkansas is going to be favored in that game, right? Against uh, Auburn. Where would Auburn and LSU be right now on the I, Vegas I would line? Take, I would take Auburn. On By the, three, four points? Depends on where the game is, but on a neutral site, I would say Auburn is a two- or three-point favorite. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're right there in the middle of the, the SEC pack because you just don't know what to expect week in, week out from Bo Nix. And, uh, again, like, like they're, they're hot and cold. But uh, that's not a knock. Like that, that's kind of where we expected they would be. Well, and it's, you look around the SEC, let's look at that middle of the pack and how they fared. Ole Miss is separating themselves out of the middle of the pack right now. Yes. I know it's early. I know they haven't played an SEC opponent yet, but they are looking like a team with just, not just convincing, blowout wins over Louisville and a pretty good Tulane team. They look like a team that's emerging as that, that upper echelon SEC-type team this year. Kentucky who we thought was going to emerge as that clear-cut third team in the SEC East behind Georgia and Florida, uh, should have lost to UTC over the weekend. So then you suddenly reset and think, okay, maybe Kentucky, who could not stop Chattanooga on the run, maybe that defense has some issues. Maybe they're not as good as we thought. So where would I put Auburn? If Auburn was in the SEC East, they are clearly the third-best team in the East. I would put them squarely ahead of Kentucky and anyone else in the SEC East, for that matter, uh, where does that put them in the West? It's in that, you know, 
roll the shake up the dice and roll them out and see what comes out between Arkansas, LSU, Auburn. Because I still think A and M, if they figure it out offensively, they're going to be up there. And I, I'm willing to say right now, Ole Miss, based on performance this season, and they don't have that huge marquee win, but based on playing their schedule in front of them and the way they've looked, that's a top five team in the country, just based on the way they've looked in games. Well, they have one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And they so far, 43, 54, and 61 points in three games. And now they have 14 days to prepare for Alabama. They had 94 plays for over 700 yards on Saturday against Tulane. 94 well, plays. Matt Corral, he's already thrown for nine touchdowns. He's rushed for five more. And he's three yards shy of 1,000 yards passing in three games. That, that's why he's already being thrown into the Heisman race three games in. Let me make a plea also for the Heisman voters out there in the Heisman race. It is not just simply the best team, best player on the best team. If Matt Corral and Ole Miss end up eight and four and he's the best player in America, give him the Heisman. I'm tired of it having to be a team that's in the playoffs or the best team going and the best player on that team. I, I would love to see someone who is the legitimate best player that may not be on the best team, that may be on a good team, and that wins games but doesn't win at the Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson level most years, that wins the Heisman. And and right now, Matt Corral should absolutely be in the mix. Hit us up on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. At Outkick360 is where you can find us. You can download the podcast wherever you find your podcasts on your mobile device. Just search out Outkick360. Coming up, more college football discussion. We'll run through the SEC headlines, and we will get to NFL discussion as well, where currently there are seven 2-0 teams across the NFL. We'll, we'll rank them, and we'll also go into some of the teams that picked up after a bad performance in week one and got to one and one where after one week the Ravens the Browns the Titans the Bills all 0 and 1 and they all picked up and got a win in week two we'll discuss that and much more straight ahead on the Monday edition of Outkick 360 hang with us The Titans got a big win in Seattle. We will be recapping that game coming up on Outkick 360. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. PK will be back from Seattle uh, later in today's show. Alabama getting a win over Florida. They remain the top uh, top team in the AP Top 25, uh, followed by Georgia receiving three votes. Oregon moves up to number three with Oklahoma, number four in the country, Iowa, the fifth best team in the country, according to the voters. Penn State with the win over Auburn. They are now sixth, rounding out the top ten. Texas A&M, Cincinnati, Clemson, and Ohio State. Cincinnati, uh, they, uh, I was expecting them to roll on Saturday, and it was a struggle. A lot of teams in the top ten struggled this past weekend, Chad. No, they really did. And uh, Cincinnati, um, I, I think, needed a bit more of a convincing win over Indiana, honestly, in the long, uh, for the long term of trying to get in that college football playoff discussion. But nonetheless, they, they won going away against Indiana. So good win for Cincinnati. And then UCLA with Chip Kelly, who we were ready to crown as mm-hmm. the, the big challenger in the Pac-12, and they still may be. They go out of conference and lose an absolute thriller 
to Fresno State. There were four touchdown lead changes. Four touchdowns back and forth with each team in the fourth quarter before Fresno State survived. I think 40-35 to 35 was the final in that one. 40-37. Uh, to 37. Terrific game. Big win for Fresno State. And what was just a really fun Saturday of, of college football. So Fresno's now 22nd. They're all lumped there together now. Fresno's 22nd. Auburn, who lost, is 23rd. And UCLA's ranked 24th. The 25th team, Kansas State. There are seven 2-0 teams now across the NFL. Arizona, who won on a missed field goal attempt by Minnesota with a chance to to win that game on the road. Arizona hangs on um, and showed off a lot of speed defensively. Minnesota, though, tried. And uh, the kicker just pushed it to the right. Carolina, also 2-0, along with the Denver Broncos. The Las Vegas Raiders, who went on the road at Pittsburgh and won yesterday. The Los Angeles Rams, who won by three at Indy. The Colts are 0-2 and come to Nashville against the 1-1 Titans next week. San Francisco on the road winning. And Tampa Bay 2-0 after five touchdown passes by Tom Brady. And Gronkowski has two touchdown receptions in each of the first two games of the season. There's no fantasy tight end better right now than Rob Gronkowski in the Bucks offense. Tom Brady had his best statistical season in 2007 with the Patriots where they had the 16-0 regular season. That was the connection with Randy Moss season for the Patriots. Tom Brady was 30 years old in 2007, and he is off to a better start statistically through two games, granted, as a 44-year-old man uh, in Tampa Bay. Uh, amazing start for Brady and the Bucks, uh, which has been incredible to watch. And you can see it on OutKick right now, but unfortunate broadcaster moment for the Minnesota Vikings play-by-play man. Is it Paul Allen? Paul Allen. Paul Allen uh, calls it good, uh, as it was not good for Minnesota at that last-second field goal attempt. Um, not great for him. It, it honestly wasn't that close even on the miss, I guess he was just anticipating that he could make a, what, 37-yard field goal that was for the win, straight on, and that did not happen. Greg Joseph, former Titans kicker, missed a 34-yarder, just pushed it to the right. Uh, Chandler Jones, while we're talking about that game, he was effective again, didn't have five sacks. He had five quarterback pressures in that game, so he made his impact felt. Dalvin Cook weathered a couple of injuries he was in the injury tent a couple of times. He came back and, and played very well. 22 carries, 131 yards. Uh, the only thing missing from his performance is a win for the Minnesota Vikings. And Kyler Murray became the first player in NFL history with three or more passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown in each of his team's first two games of a season. You can't start better than what Kyler Murray has done. And the Arizona Cardinals are 2-0 and because of it. Uh, with wins over the Vikings and the Titans. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, and you can join us in the YouTube chat at OutKick360. So some that jumped out to me were teams that were 0-1 going into yesterday that really battled to avoid the 0-2 start. And one had a good outcome, the other two did not. Indianapolis fought like heck to get back in that game against the Rams and give themselves a really good chance at winning it. Indianapolis has bigger problems now with Carson Wentz once again, not knowing how to slide properly, getting himself injured in that game. That's a big story to watch develop. 
But they go to 0-2 in what would have been, to me, a remarkable win over a very good Rams team. Minnesota, on the other side, fighting after that overtime loss to Cincinnati in week one. They're right there with Arizona. I didn't think that game would be that close. They have a 37-yarder to win it. They miss it. Arizona goes to 2-0. Vikings now 0-2. And the third one, Hutton, the Titans down 14 in the fourth quarter. We're going to talk a lot more about it later, but a very different outcome for them is they're able to finish the deal. They get it tied, go into overtime, win the game on a, on a Randy Bullock kick. So I, I just I was struck in that afternoon window with the two games going on simultaneously with Arizona, Minnesota, Titans taking on the Seahawks. Then the early window with the Colts and the Rams. I thought three very similar teams in terms of fight to avoid 0-2 but only one of them got there to one and one. There were two teams, Chad, who needed great second-half performances that could use the second half with the win they received that can catapult them a bit. It's early in the season, but I thought these two wins meant a lot. First, the Titans on the road at Seattle. The second-half performance trailing, what, 24-9 to to come back and force overtime and then win 33-30 to in overtime. Huge for the psyche of that team and the mentality of that team. They want to be the more physical opponent. They want to beat you up the line of scrimmage, and they want to run their offense through Derrick Henry. They did that in the second half to a winning result. That's huge for that team as they flew back across country last night, arrived back at 2 a.m., and now get to work on a divisional opponent with a chance to send the Colts to 0-3 on the season instead of having to worry about all the 0-2 talk. Uh, It was a fantastic performance in the second half. We'll dissect it more coming up. The other one, the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson beat the Kansas City Chiefs for the first time, and he did it with a second-half performance at quarterback. That was outstanding. He had two interceptions in the first quarter against Kansas City last night, turned it around starting in that third quarter. The Ravens now have rushed for 100 or more yards in 41 straight games. The next best organization to do it has done it in seven straight games. That's how far in, 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 in front the Ravens are with this offense. They can run on anyone. And last night, Lamar Jackson picked it up with the pass game, too. Took a big fumble from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, with a chance for Kansas City to drive and kick a game-winning field goal. They fumble. Baltimore gets the football back, and they're able to run out the clock. But they were 0-3 against Mahomes, 0-4 against Andy Reid, and Lamar Jackson... And he admitted this postgame. His quote was, look, we got the monkey off our back. It feels good. And it should. This was a big game for them after losing in overtime on Monday night to then on a short week turn around and get a big win over the Kansas City Chiefs at home and, 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 and take advantage of uh, just strong quarterback play. I've been impressed with what Lamar Jackson has done other than the fumbles on Monday night. Look, I have the Ravens as one of my Super Bowl teams. I have the Ravens and the Packers in the Super Bowl, so them beating Kansas City at home doesn't overly surprise me because I think they're going to end up being a very good team. But you know what Kansas City can do to you defensively, that you're going to give up points and yards to Kansas City in that offense. So while the Ravens have a very good defense, I'm not as alarmed about them giving up as much as they did against Kansas City. But is it time to start to worry about the Chiefs' defense at this point, Hutton, when you watch that performance and you see the way the Ravens were able to score on them and not stop the run, and really, uh, I know Chris Collinsworth in the broadcast said it well. He said, the Ravens' offense, the way it functions and why it's difficult to stop is 
It's not that you don't know who has the ball. It's you don't know who's going to block you from play to play. The way they move linemen around, the yeah. way they have guys coming at you from different angles, you don't know who's going to be blocking you on each play. And I thought that the Ravens' ability to sort of steamroll them, especially in that fourth quarter, was really impressive to watch. And it got me thinking, are we talking enough about the Chiefs' defense or lack thereof? Well, I, the, we're not talking much about the Chiefs' defense because it's all about their offense. Yes. And there was a tip pass that normally Travis Kelsey's going to make in the midway through the third quarter. I was with Keith Bullock last night watching this game. And the tip pass, Kansas City was up 11, and the ball was picked off in the second half. And, and Bullock was like, ah, they're up 11. This doesn't matter. Mahomes will get the ball back. They'll, they'll end up getting three or seven in the next possession because that's what they do. And it's just very routine. That they build leads, and then they just smother you out defensively because they take advantage of playing with their lead. Um, not to the same extent that the Colts defense would do back in the day with Peyton Manning at the helm of that offense, but it's a similar concept where they can get pressure with four uh, and they can send the extra man and be more aggressive whenever they have Mahomes dealing. And he was dealing early and built a lead and that Baltimore defense was able to get a couple passes going and turn it back in their favor. I'm not concerned with Kansas City. I thought this was much more about Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore, with a, I think it's a massive win for them in the AFC. After losing on the road to, to, to Vegas, to get an AFC win back and to do it against uh, the team that you have been chasing. Everyone's chasing Kansas City. I think mentally it was a huge hurdle to overcome for Baltimore. For Kansas City, I mean... They barely know. Kelsey told us this last Monday night by his uh, response. They barely know who they're playing week to week. They just know they're winning week to week. They'll be fine. I did laugh, though, uh, about Kelsey's comment with Peyton and Eli during the Manning cast where he did not know who they were playing the next week and then seeing them lose uh, to Baltimore in that game. I thought about it as it was Travis Kelsey trying to rip the ball away from Oway after the, the strip fumble that ended up ending the game for Kansas City. Uh, and, and let me also say this. Lamar Jackson, do not do the cartwheel into the end zone on the touchdown. That yeah. was <laughs> – if I'm a Ravens fan, I'm very nervous about watching my quarterback do a side flip and land on his shoulder and side as a celebration into the end zone to take the lead. This wasn't a celebration to go up 42-7 to when the game was out of reach. This was the go-ahead touchdown – in the fourth quarter, where, yes, he was just walking into the end zone with no one on that side, but I'd probably cool it, and I'm sure John Harbaugh may be telling him that. He wants guys to be themselves. I don't know that I want my franchise quarterback, though, doing that move and, and flipping into the end zone that way. Big win for the Raiders. They come across country. Look, this, this is both good and bad for schedule makers. And it, this team came across country on a short week for an 11 a.m. body clock kickoff for the Raiders, and they won. So they get back to work on Wednesday after playing Monday night and then have to fly across country and then put up that great performance. It's great because it's a big, you know, F you to the schedule makers. It's also the schedule makers saying, see, it can be done. <laughs> so, so these West Coast teams will continue to have to do this. And it's, it's, it's not fair, but... It is. I mean, Seattle did it in week one, right? And then they had to turn around and go back west. The difference is it's a Monday night home game followed up by an early body clock Sunday matchup against a formidable opponent in, in the Pittsburgh Steelers. But here's, 
here's the Raiders defense. Everyone's talking about Carr, and Carr has been steady. Carr has been good to begin this season. But the Raiders defense, again, are playing winning football and making big plays when they need to get the football back to their offense. Well, how much better does that Raiders defense look after seeing what Baltimore was able to do yeah. against Kansas yeah. City's, you know, in that game versus what the Raiders did to slow down Baltimore's offense is pretty remarkable. I know the transitive property doesn't always connect in football. It's a difficult one to play a lot of times. I'm sure a lot of Tennessee Vols fans are playing the transitive property when Pittsburgh lost at home to Western Michigan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after going on the road, but it's really difficult to, to look at that and see what exactly would happen game to game. But yeah, the Raiders' defense has, I mean, it's been impressive. And I do laugh at the idea of the NFL schedule makers just circling those, two, those games and this win and saying, Using that for examples. Every time someone complains <laughs> about the schedule, they're going to go back and say, if the Las Vegas Raiders can do it, you can do it. What I do like, Hutton, is when they go with these West Coast teams that go back-to-back games on the road during the season and get to stay out east. The 49ers, the classic example of that, this go-around, they were in uh, Detroit and then in Philadelphia, and they stayed, I want to say, in the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia, but they stay all week somewhere sort of in between and then never go back on the West Coast. It feels like that's a pretty good route to uh, have some more team building and to stay together as a group, even in the season, is when you can do that. So that was, uh, I think that's the way to do it if you're going to be a West Coast team going East. Um, so here's Derek Carr. I said all the talk is about him. Rightfully so. The standing ovation this week to Derek Carr, who has 817 yards passing against the Ravens and the Steelers' defense. And that is the most in a two-game span in Raiders history. It's not like the most in the last 15 years. This is the most in Raiders history. They have started out well. And he made it was a struggle in the first half against Baltimore's defense. If you're watching that game on Monday night last week, it was a struggle. They have pieced it together. They found some winning plays. And it wasn't pretty in week one. But yesterday was just a solid, thorough win. 26-17 over Pittsburgh. Meanwhile, the Steelers are working through some offensive line issues. Uh, That goes without saying, if you flip on and and watch them play, um, they turned it on in that fourth quarter against Buffalo in week one and got a win on the road. Uh, So this trades out a bit. Trey Turner, inexcusable, uh, spitting on an opponent, should be suspended. He was ejected from the game for doing so, uh, which doesn't help their offensive line issues anymore. Uh, what What did hurt them defensively is T.J. Watt going down with that groin injury. I uh, don't know how things went on the test results today, but uh, that, that has uh, really affected them. And normally, that can keep you out a couple of weeks. I think maybe the biggest surprise for me this year is Derek Carr. I, I was close to giving up on Derek Carr as the guy for a team, for the Raiders or for anyone else. And he has been terrific uh, through two weeks. Mike Mayock said it in the preseason, that we got to win. It's time to mm-hmm. win now. And not just get to the playoffs, but be a team that can win games in the playoffs. But it starts by getting to the playoffs if you're the Raiders. And they've come out and shown, I mean, that's a win over the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers to open your season. Two rough and rugged AFC North stalwarts that you're going to have to beat in a playoff game if you're an AFC team. And, and you, you want to host the playoffs. it. I, and you want to host it. You look around the league, and there's some really good starts for teams across the league. 
uh, Carolina uh, being one of them, uh, the way they looked yesterday. But it's tough to pinpoint a team that's got a better start than the Raiders right now with that win over Baltimore on Monday night following up with that road win over Pittsburgh. They've been very impressive. And see, now they benefit going back home. They'll host the Dolphins. Tua has that rib injury. Um, And uh, according to the MRI results of the rib injury that he missed the game yesterday for after the first quarter, uh, initial test results are he's fine, meaning he's going to have to play through pain, but nothing's broken. He doesn't have a broken rib, doesn't have a fractured rib. Um, So it's about pain tolerance, which means he'll probably try to give it a go. I mean, normally that's what they're hinting at there, but – this, this is not easy. And then you have Jacoby Brissett, uh, who's coming off the bench, and now might be asked to go on the road and uh, face Vegas uh, as the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. So uh, something to watch there uh, in that game after they could get nothing going. I mean, th- think of the worst possible scenario for Miami to begin the game, and that's what happened against Buffalo. Buffalo came down there full throttle, won 35 to nothing, uh, Singletary ripped off what was like a 60-yard touchdown run on their first possession. Tua gets hit. Tua sacked on the first two snaps of the game. Two of his first three snaps, he goes down with a sack, injured his ribs. Jacoby Brissett comes in. They could not protect. I think I was, watch, I was watching a show this morning, Chad, uh, PFF grades, and um, they had graded the entire Miami offensive line had a, it was like a sum of 26%. It was an average of 26% was the overall offensive line grade against Buffalo. That's how terrible they were in week two protecting Tua. I I don't know if you had the same feeling, Hutton, watching that and seeing Tua going out of that game. Two of the last three games, the Buffalo games, getting pulled for being ineffective in a blowout loss in the last week of the regular season a year ago, and then second week of the season, losing the way they did 35 nothing. him getting hit and hurt in that game. And I could not stop thinking, this is the beginning of the end or maybe just the end mm-hmm. for Tua as starting quarterback in Miami. And we're going to point back to the Buffalo Bills in those two games, end of the season where he gets pulled, second game of the season where he gets hit and hurt. You've got Armando Salguero immediately in his weekly column, his Monday morning column at OutKick, writing about the Dolphins need to give up the three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson. If they are truly a playoff team this year, that's the move they need to make. And he pointed to some of their first-round picks in the past and how maybe it's not that big of a trade-off for a generational talent like Deshaun Watson, even with all of the issues surrounding Deshaun Watson. And Hutton, I can't help but think – we're seeing the end of Tua in Miami. I'm not going there yet. Uh, he's knocked out of a game because his offensive line needs to see the end of their tenure in Miami. That's how bad it's been. Uh, the, meanwhile, they're also facing a Buffalo defense in week two. So far through two weeks, Buffalo's defense has allowed one offensive touchdown. That's excellent to start the season. They will face Washington at home next week, uh, and then they get the Texans.
Recapping the biggest NFL and college football games from the weekend. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. Just search out Outkick 360. And, uh, of course, you can download the podcast wherever you download your podcast. Each and every day here in downtown Nashville, we broadcast live from the 6th and Peabody Studios with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. If you're in Nashville, if you're in the Middle Tennessee area, make plans to come to 6th and Peabody. Chad, that's located where? It's located, funny enough, at 6th <laughs> and Peabody. It's very easy to find. Those two streets intersect downtown, very close to Music City Center. That's where you can find us daily. Hope some people come out and join us. Chad, your under-the-radar SEC game this week was which game and why? I'm going to go with two. One on the good end for an SEC team, one on the, on the bad end for the SEC team. I'll start with the bad. Uh, Kentucky's 28-23 yep. win over Chattanooga. Bad because, you know, Will, Will Levis was effective, but two interceptions in the game and two bad interceptions for Levis. And the fact they gave up 171 yards rushing at 6.1 yards per carry to Chattanooga, an FCS team, that one was alarming. Uh, and really did surprise me. And, and not a lot of people notice it because Kentucky hung on and won. But that was in doubt. I mean, they're down in the fourth quarter of that game to Chattanooga at home. So that was alarming for Kentucky. The under-the-radar good surprise in the SEC was a game that we mentioned briefly earlier. Ole Miss scoring 61 against Tulane, running 94 plays, and having over 700 yards in the game. Ole Miss a year ago, was giving up 47% on third down. They're down to 31%. They're giving up on third down early this year. If Ole Miss's defense can just be okay, can just continue at this pace, once they get to SEC play, this Ole Miss team, we know they're going to be a tough out no matter what, this Ole Miss team could be a contender to knock off an Alabama, to knock off someone huge this year if they can keep that up. So that was the good surprise. And, and you mentioned earlier, Matt Corral, at this point, is, is a Heisman candidate for the Rebels. Oh, yeah. He's, he's right there. He's in the mix. Uh, I'm with you on Kentucky. If you look at the stats of this game, there's not much that separated Kentucky from UTC. And that, it wasn't fluky. That's, what, that's what's concerning for Kentucky. It was the game right. you're looking at, oh, it's so lopsided, and these weird things happen, and that kept them around. It, it was a very evenly matched game. And that's concerning. But, but here's, here's the light at the end of the tunnel for Kentucky fans that were all hyped up and still should be because I, I love Levis at quarterback. I like the, the, the vision of what they're doing offensively now, bringing in the assistant coach from the Rams, uh, running a lot more play action and getting more balanced offense to pair with Stoops' defense. I, I, I like the direction they're going. They get South Carolina now. They should be 4-0. They get South Carolina – South Carolina, who could not stand, and I'm not saying many teams are going to be able to stand for a half against Georgia. South Carolina couldn't stand for a quarter against Georgia. Think about that. Think about where that program is right now. And again, I'm not trying to say that Tennessee or Vandy or any of these other lower tier schools in the SEC East, uh, talent-wise with expectations, are going to be able to do it. I was just stunned at how quickly Georgia made easy work of the Gamecocks. Yeah, I really think that uh, if you're looking at the bottom of that SEC East. They could have put up seven. By the way, that's another good one is JT Daniels coming back yeah. and not missing a beat. 
Granted, that South Carolina team is not good. But 300 they just, yards. And they just dismantled them. They did whatever they wanted. They made everything offensively and defensively look Chad, easy they, against South Carolina. <laughs> they, they held South Carolina to 2.4 yards rushing per carry on average. Yeah, and that's, that seems big to me. That's an watching, SEC, watching that game, that SEC sounds too, offensive too high. line and run game. Yeah, that sounds too high. And, and look, Georgia's going to do that to a lot of teams. But if you're looking at the bottom of that SEC East, um, I, I really think right now it is pretty clearly Georgia, then Florida, then Kentucky, then probably Missouri, mm-hmm. and then Tennessee, followed by South Carolina and Vanderbilt. I think for, for Tennessee, the only two games in the SEC they're going to have legitimate pressure to win because they absolutely should win is South Carolina and Vandy. Those are the two no-brainers they should win. I think at Missouri is a big opportunity for Tennessee coming up next week mm-hmm. after this Florida game. But that's, that's what Georgia should do to South Carolina. They should do something like that to Tennessee. They're going to do something like that or much worse at Vanderbilt this weekend. And that's where Georgia's really separating themselves from the rest of the conference. So another under-the-radar game that no one paid attention to, even though it was on ESPN Saturday night, was Georgia's absolute takedown of South Carolina. That game and just doing exactly what they should as an elite contender and making everything look very easy. It was 40-6. to six. I, I, I halfway joked by saying they could have put up 70, but they could have. And nearly half of South Carolina's yards came in – that trash junk time where it was 40 to 6 and they pushed towards the second half against backups. That, yeah. That's how easy Georgia made it look on Saturday night. Well, and you look at their, their scoring over the quarter 14, 12, 14, 0. Completely <laughs> just took a knee for the fourth quarter, right? And kind of took a knee on defense, too, giving yeah, up that yeah. one touchdown drive. Yeah. So, and uh, that a, bit was a, of a bit of a preview for the Tennessee Power Hour. The good news about Tennessee today is we're not talking about them at all in this hour no. about takeaways because they did exactly what they should have done. They didn't it, it, we're not stunned that they won going away against Tennessee Tech, but the good news is Tennessee Tech didn't go in and do what Chattanooga did to Kentucky or uh, Tennessee didn't have a South Carolina like performance or a week before they play Florida. That's the good news about the Vols this past weekend. Yeah, got four intercept. I got four turnovers, which I said that was the count. What did I want to see? I wanted to see a defensive touchdown, mm-hmm. and I wanted to see Tennessee get some turnovers for once and not be the team turning it over. Four to zero in turnovers in the game for Tennessee. They had the pick six from Salon Page. Um, it really wasn't that well played of a game, but Tennessee did exactly what they needed to, and only three penalties. Now, you go back to that pit missed opportunity, and that's what it was. 13 penalties, three turnovers to none, yet Tennessee still had two drives inside the 30, one inside the five, in the fourth quarter with a chance to tie or take the lead against Pitt, even with all those mistakes. So that shows where Tennessee really missed an opportunity there. They came out, they did exactly what they should against Tennessee Tech, and you're right, Hutton. The fact we're not going to be spending a lot of time talking about the Tennessee game in the power hour shows that's what they should have done. Titans get a win over Seattle. We recap that game. We'll give you some under-the-radar picks for the, the winners of Week 2 across the NFL. That's all straight ahead. Plus, we recap our conversation with the head ball coach, Steve Spurrier, next. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.